0: Hey, everybody. Uh, Before we get the show started here, we just want to give a big shout out to our uh, friend in podcasting, New Friends. Nice to make new friends these days. Council member Andrew Lewis launching a new podcast, All Policy is Local. Uh, We're going to be on the first episode, uh, just cutting it up with our boy Andrew, talking local podcasting, you know. Offering some advice, you know. Something that everybody wants to hear about, just four dudes talking podcasts.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's the I, next I frontier
1: of mechanical freak is we're just gonna like offer our consulting services to n- local uh, political <laughs> podcasts because we got the we got the fucking stars under our belt.
2: Yeah, I mean we could really if you all you gotta do is like you know real targeted marketing. You like juice people up to believe that they should do that. Like on Twitter, like we could have like sock puppet accounts where we're like, "Damn, your takes are so good. You should fucking you should do a local podcast and talk about this shit." <laughs> And you should do it week in and week out forever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Andrew Lewis, my, my council
1: member for my district. Sounds like he's listening to his district members then. Yeah. I mean, hey, before I moved, he was my council member too. (laughs) Oh yeah.
2: Well, you know, we go way back. We were at UW at the same time, you know, um, traveled in some similar circles. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's like he wants to be me, actually. <laughs> it's fan behavior. Mm-hmm. It really is fan behavior. Next, yeah. ne- He's going to come on the first episode and be like, so uh, I'm recording from my boat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got the uh, way of the water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a great name for the podcast. He should, he should call it that from his boat. It's called the way of the water. But no, seriously, um, Andrew Lewis... Fuck you, bud. All right. There's already enough political podcasts in this goddamn city. Well, well, I think you mean there have been enough political podcasts. (laughs) And at the
2: end of the day, there's really nothing to worry about here because like, you know, a guy like Andrew Lewis, he's going to come in with the clout, with the resources, with the staff backing him up. You know, he's going to have a lot of flash to this podcast that, you know, that slick production, you know, but at the end of the day, he's not. The kind of day in, day out, work a day, lunch pail cranks that we are, you know? Like, <laughs> you can't keep this shit up. What the fuck's he gonna talk about? It's only stupid shit. There's only stupid things to get mad about, okay? There's not, like, uplifting fucking, like, interesting civic matters to discuss, like, in a a moderate uh, way. Like, uh, expose yourself to new ideas about, like, you know, policy and how uh, we can all agree in the end. Uh, Like, what's he going to do? Like, have debates with Shama? Like... (laughs) Uh, uh, you know is that that that's going to be like the sauerkraut ice cream like uh, segment once a week that's like you know crossfire or whatever (laughs) like (laughs) give me a fucking break like he doesn't he doesn't have it
0: in him Uh, he's gonna do Hannity and Combs with Shama Sawant Uh, yeah no I mean yeah who cares he's not gonna make it Uh, many have tried to do politics podcasts in the city many have failed Uh, it takes true cranks and Andrew Lewis, you know, he doesn't have it in him because for him, a podcast will be work, as opposed to for us, where it's the only social interaction we have all week. This is our life, baby. <laughs> he you doesn't have it in this. him because he doesn't have anything in him. That's the most. That's the emptiest man
2: you've ever looked into the eyes of. You know, no nothing thoughts, there. Just man. vibes. Empty yeah.
0: fucking suit. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Look forward to his podcast coming up, 2022: uh, The Way of the Crane. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the mechanical freak podcast coming to you live from the very top of the space needle where we've just survived a firework and drone attack. Uh, The drones, luckily, were not timed up properly with the fireworks, therefore presenting no danger to us. Congrats once again to whoever plans that for Seattle New Year's. Congrats on another failure. Forgot to bring it up last week. Figure bring it up this week. But yes, the city of the neoliberal future today. Moon, yeah, uh, that's that's like Brian's
2: like most important cultural touchstone is the <laughs> Seattle New Year's. <laughs> it means a lot uh, to him. It really like, like, means a lot to him. It's like how he connects like with uh, the polity of which he's a part. It's like it's his really only important holiday tradition. Uh, it,
0: it, you say <laughs> that, but you're totally tr- right in that like seven or eight years ago, I was flying back from Texas on New Year's. Uh, New Year's Eve, and I had a flight nightmare of delayed flights followed by a transit nightmare getting back to my house. So by the time I got back to my house, it was like 11 o'clock. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go to a New Year's party at this point. It's, It's too fucking late and I'm too tired. And I turned on the Seattle New Year's special. And boy, was I blown away. I've watched it every year since. I literally make a note of it and a big deal out of it. I have to be home to watch at 11 p.m. They usually start at 1130. I got to be home to watch the Seattle New Year's special because it's a fucking fiasco every year. This year was no different. Just fuck ups left and right. Incredible. (laughs) It's dog shit. Every year It is on every
2: level. The like actual like live (laughs) in person. I mean. During COVID, there were some years where there was no live in person. That's a whole other story. Those are really special. Oh, yeah. Um, but the yes, it, the fireworks, it all looks like shit. It's like, why is this happening? And then just the whole like production of it on TV is just the most like phoned in fucking <laughs> fucked up thing every year. It's incredible.
0: It it looks like it's produced by like a high school, you know, uh, audio visual club or something. In 1993. It's, yeah, it's the most half-assed, like, uh, they, they never. nobody ever has audio when they cut to them. Nobody's, like, headphones are working right. The cuts are the, all bad. The, like, the, the shots B-team, are bad. It's only the B
2: team, right? It's like the yeah. interns running the show because everyone, the like, is at a New year's party. Like, they don't want to work. Yeah.
0: yeah, you just think it would get better over time. But uh, this defies that logic. <laughs> it stays right at the same shitty level every year. And uh, honestly, I applaud it.
2: Every time I see the fireworks, I'm like, at some point somebody is going to do some damage to the space needle, and you <laughs> feel pretty stupid.
0: <laughs> it can't be a
2: paint job, you know. At the very nah, least,
0: they're going to somehow shear it in the middle, and it's just going to fall on all the uh, you know New Year's fun havers below. Uh, that's my Roland Emmerich pitch for uh, Seattle New Year's special 2024. All right, well. uh, You know, now that we're on the hot topics of what happened on New Year's a week and a half ago. uh, Munya, you sent us, I guess this was, was this this morning or was it yesterday? Time doesn't mean anything to me anymore. But you (laughs) sent us the exciting story of Brazil's January, Brazil's version of their January 6th uprising. And I was riveted. From the second you sent me the thread of the pictures, I could not stop looking at it. It was insane.
1: Yeah, it was wild, man. Um, Brazil and January eighth. Um, yeah. It was so it was their January eighth. Um, Bolsonaro supporters uh, stormed the Capitol, very reminiscent of January sixth. Um, they went as far to get the military police to join their side, and they actually got into the capital. Um, it was a really big crowd. While Bolsonaro was like hanging out at like a publix somewhere in Florida, <laughs> so I think that that was kind, <laughs> kind of lame, funny. Though juxtaposition yeah right well,
2: now <laughs> Orlando not even he's, Miami he's sticking to his program now he's fulfilling his last campaign promise he's like sticking to the party line and he has checked into a hospital you
1: know? yeah he, and he's gonna have a nasty surprise with US hospitals I gotta say I mean that bill is not gonna be like great he's just like one for abdominal pains too it's like just some bullshit right like I mean dude you're gonna get wrecked by the system look when you've been as close to
2: death as many times as he has like yeah you have some abdominal pains you go to the fucking hospital <laughs> I, what do you I bet he's going to be real like he probably like has in his head that you can just walk into any hospital in America and get like the best care in the world because he's yeah you know delusional in a lot of ways <laughs> whereas like he probably was getting the best medical care possible in Brazil and like he might just have like a rude awakening uh, you know, if well, he didn't yeah, choose no. it, choose it really carefully. And I mean, Jesus, he went to just he just guy moved to Orlando for fuck's sake.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, I sympathize with the man. Uh, I too understand that high stress situations can lead to tummy aches. And what's more high stress than having the coup that you planned in the shadow of the teacups at Disney World, uh, fall <laughs> apart right in front of your eyes? Now, the funny part was. The coup is especially surreal. And I think it maybe it was on a Chapo episode they had Vincent Bevins on talking about Brazil and Bolsonaro and the weird bizarro world where Bolsonaro just like wants to be Trump or he, like wants to to do everything in the American style, even though yeah. it's not an American context, which would somehow leave even his own party members very confused. But in watching this, there literally was a Q Shaman there. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, yeah. it was it was surreal to see. It was
2: like I a mean,
1: carbon
0: copy
2: it's yeah. out of context it doesn't make sense and yet at the same time maybe more way more than most other countries brazil's politics like does resemble america's like mm-hmm. obviously it's very they different have a but pretty,
1: like you know radicalized evangelical like right wing in brazil similar to america um mm-hmm. you know brazil and america have been staunch allies in like anti communist crusades since like the 60s so I mean, they do have like similarities, and they do continue that you know partnership today. Um, en- enough so, similarity you know. for like
2: yeah, real right wing cranks to like get the vibe. Like if they're really into it, if you're like a <laughs> yeah. real, you're a real like politics nerd on the right, you see American politics and you it makes sense to you on like a dark vibe level, you know, and so mm-hmm. you yeah, want right. it. So like all these people, uh, uh, you know the bolsonaristas like they they all want they all get that vibe and want it as he does you know they want to make it they want to merge the two but
1: yeah well i mean what was especially funny about all of this is that like while the military police joined in the crowds and like stormed the capital with them which was kind of a alarming sight to see in real time i gotta admit that had me concerned yeah, uh, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> when um when the actual Brazilian military came in, they rolled in just like, you know, troops like walking with ARs all the way up while the Bolsonaro you know, were like, you know, uh cheering and basically doing like the um basically forming a gauntlet, right? Kind of like a Little League soccer after a game when you, like, run through it. Like, woo like, you (laughs) won. Like, they were, like, fucking, like, cheering the militaries coming into the capital, thinking that they were going to execute the coup on their behalf. And um, immediately, like, hundreds of them get arrested and, like, they put the coup down, um, which was, like... (laughs) Quite possibly the funniest outcome, um, like <laughs> cheering for these guys and then they just get owned, you know? And yeah. I think that's the morale just I think went down after that.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think like this should be a huge gift to Lula. Like, okay. Yes. A total, if a totally different thing happened where the military had actually like planned and then executed a coup that the, this like storming, of the capital by the hogs, like coincided with, um, that would be a different scenario, but that wasn't what happened. What did happen was all the shittiest people in the country, just like here, again, different country, different politics, but would we be at all surprised to find out that among other demographics, a lot of the people there were out of uniform cops from around the country. I would not be surprised. Um, and they all showed their ass they've all like uh taken this opportunity to i like both all the the people who stormed it as well as the the military police and the uh brasilia police who either participated or like sat back and like took selfies just like here they've all like identified themselves as not just political enemies of lula and, like, uh, on the right politically in the country, but as enemies of the state, which, you know, should really be a political gift to anyone, right? When (laughs) your political enemies identify them, stand up and shout, I'm a a terrorist enemy of the state that you are now in control of the executive power of. Now, in America, like, because it's the Democratic Party who came in after this, they've spent a lot of, like, time jawjacking about january 6th and doing very little they've you know arrested a, a sizable number of people but like they you know that you couldn't get any of them to say anything about the cops right like everyone just wanted to immediately forget that the cops like just let everybody in was just waving them past and No one wants to talk about the fact that probably half the crowd were were like out out of (laughs) uniform cops. Right. Like it's only like local newspapers around the country have gone like, gee, is it just our city that sent a bunch of cops like taking their vacation days to January 6th? Like um, but that's, you know, so far and it makes sense, like you could see this going different way but like if anyone has learned a lesson that, like you've got to use this opportunity you've got to not let these people have any power you've got to take your opportunity of being in executive power to strip the right out of government at every level it's got to be Lula I mean the man went to right. fucking prison and then just you know ha- while he was sitting there saw what happened in Peru and then briefly in Bolivia, Bolivia. you know yeah. and it's like You gotta hope. And so far, I mean, that's the coolest thing. I mean, yeah, would it have been cool? It would have been cooler if they fully like. like ran in with tanks and just like you know, uh, <laughs> did a full on like like Tiananmen Square on them, you know, like just like except reached- they actually ran the people over, unlike yeah, yeah Tiananmen yeah. Square. Like-
0: <laughs> no, I want snow plows attached to the no, floor like, of the like, tanks, just like fucking f- f- charging through the crowd, like li- live live fire, you know. But
2: okay, whatever, <laughs> right or wrong, you know, they did it without doing that. Pro- probably smart, maybe I don't know. If you then take the opportunity to use this and the rhetoric out of Lula anyway, so far is like uh, is exactly that. Like I was, I'm re, I was re seeing this thread. I think I sent you guys. Um, it's a paraphrase from this guy um, on Twitter, but it's like, you know, first of all, very forceful. There's this interesting quote that he says, uh, he begins by denouncing quote, fascists, vandals, Nazis, Stalinists, no not stalinists fascists and i i love this because, <laughs> because I, I, I don't know again different country i know very little about but what that rings to me knowing vaguely like what like lula's politics are like that rings to me as like an instinctual um pronouncement of left anti-communism you know like mm-hmm. he's probably probably for like decades of his life on politics on the vague like center left has like denouncing uh the stalinists you know has probably been like a a a regular part of uh shit like this and and lumping them in when you say fascist you also throw in stalinist you know you can imagine i don't is that the case i don't know but i can imagine then he has this growth right he's like well you know what that was an instinct but no actually now that it's not just theory now that we're not just bullshitting about like how you know totalitarianism uh and pulling shit out of our ass like you know what actually it's just fascist there were no stalinists there i don't know this is all just vibes i'm i'm getting off this but but he goes on to say like um like massive investigations this guy paraphrases him saying that the brazilian people can no longer trust certain police forces calls for examples to be made so that this never happens again can you fucking imagine anyone mm-hmm. in in politics like uh, above the city level anywhere really any almost anyone in America in politics saying this like in elected office besides Shama like can can yeah. you is this possible can you imagine Joe Biden any Democrats for all the fucking hey they've tried to make in the, the weakest way possible without really committing to anything without saying anything or doing anything how the hey they've tried to make out of January 6th Can you fucking imagine despite all those videos the, some of those people were in the building and their lives were threatened. And they all saw that shit of the cops going, Hey, come on in. Come on in and kill the congressman. You know, hey, come on <laughs> in. And, and, yeah. Get a photo of, Nan- of Nancy's uh, brutalized corpse uh, and show me on the way out. Okay. You know, like waving them in, fucking about. Again, the half of them were out of uniform cops. Can you imagine fucking Nancy Pelosi saying, the uh, the american people can no longer trust certain police forces
0: mhm yeah. i know i mean it's what they should have said but of course Instead of saying that, they uh, just gave the Capitol Police an enormous race. It was like, insane, hey guys. Insane. B-
1: they also did tanks. mass arrest immediately, too, which is something yeah. that until now I didn't know that was possible. When someone storms the Capitals, you can just like actually arrest all of them if you want to do. <laughs> yeah, on site. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on I, site. Yeah.
0: I thought that mass arresting was only possible at anti-war demonstrations yeah. and uh, <laughs> anti-police demonstrations. But it turns out you could. Turns uh, out you could do that, too. Yeah, uh, you could do it when uh, actual crimes are happening as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> look
2: so when he won again glib asshole here but like when he won i was saying i assume on the the show but like the, the, what they need to do and what hopefully you got to imagine at least lula like must understand having been sent by the fucking fascists in his government to jail you know and having and then lived through the bolsonaro years they need to like root out all of these people out of positions of power, especially in the police and the military and the courts. And like, that's going to be hard. It's gonna be a hard thing to do. My God, is this an incredible start? Because you can, anyone who showed their ass in the smallest way in the police, military, anyone who doesn't, if you really take it, you really put your people in there. Anyone who doesn't follow the orders, like, When he when he comes to, like, sending in the military to arrest a bunch of cops, you know, if you get resistance, someone from the military who doesn't want to do these kinds of things, you can just keep firing generals until you find your grant and your Sherman, you know, like this is an opportunity. I hope he uses it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. For sure. And uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. I have a sneaking suspicion that it will not be as uh, weak-willed and useless as what the Democrats did here. Uh, It won't be four years of drawn-out non-investigations and non-arrests, but we'll see. Uh, I do want to follow up on the fate of the Brazilian (laughs) Um, (laughs) Q-shaman. I hope his story is as weird as the Q-shaman here. (laughs) How could it not be? Uh, So other things, exciting things that happened this week is we got an interesting admission from Walgreens. Uh, Some people might remember that Walgreens swore there was an organized uh, crime shoplifting spree taking over the country and forcing them to shut down stores. This week, New York Times released an article, Walgreens executive says shoplifting threat was overstated. And I just want to read the the sort of intro of this article for y'all real fast and then get a get a little response here. But a Walgreens executive said this week that the company which cited organized shoplifting as a reason to close five stores in San Francisco in October of 2021 might have overstated the effect of theft on its business. Maybe we cried too much last year, James Kehoe, the company's chief financial officer, said (laughs) during a Walgreens earnings call with investors. Mr. Kehoe also said that the company had probably spent too much on security measures and that might have mischaracterized how much theft took place in its stores. It was a remarkable admission, retail experts said. Walgreens and other retailers have in recent years complained about an increase in shoplifting, inflaming political debates about crime. Mr. Kehoe said that Walgreens shrinkage, the industry term for inventory that was bought but cannot be sold primarily because of shoplifting, was now around 25 to 2.6% of sales, compared with around 3.5% last year and had stabilized. Shrinkage can also be attributed to product damage and loss of goods, theft by employees, and vendor fraud. Interesting how those things never come up. they're <laughs> yeah, under- lumped into one fucking category, yeah yeah Mr. Keho said that the company was now relying more on law enforcement instead of largely ineffective private security companies to respond to theft. Actually, we're quite happy with where we are, he said. So uh, apparently, our long national nightmare is over. Uh, hooray. Well, we did it. nice. <laughs>
2: we did incredible it. exactly yeah, I mean, this is every
0: uh, this is every like this
2: is every retail establishment in America, basically. All that these big ones, mm. and then fucking in this town, I'm sure everywhere else, like l- small businesses too, like complaining about uh or you know your 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 midsized local chains like owned by your your local urban barons, you know, like whining to the city about like about uh the uh, you know visible poverty that's uh somehow is also shoplifting and yeah, I mean it's the same shit everywhere, I guess they're bored of it now or like they all got, what does this mean? They all got into a frenzy and like, liked saying this stuff and like liked proving it by, by spending the money on the security. And now it's just like, uh, they just,
0: they can't keep it on the balance sheet. Cause it's just stupid. Is that what this is? Like, well, so my personal pet theory is, so the actual reason why all those store clothes stores closed had nothing to do with, uh, shoplifting, right. surprise, surprise, Uh, Walgreens had already announced to shareholders, I think all the way back in 2017, that they were going to close up to 750 stores for, uh, financial reasons that had to do with overexposure and stuff. So basically, uh, like a lot of chains in the two thousands, they overexpanded and expanded too quickly. And San Francisco in particular had an absurd amount of Walgreens and it It had something like 61 or 62 Walgreens and something like that. Um, Which a lot of chains were like that. And it led, of course, to a closure of a lot of these, you know, stores and franchises, et cetera. Walgreens being no exception, it promised to close up to 750 stores. The stores in San Francisco had already been slated to be closed prior to the accusations of shoplifting. So this is my pet theory is the shoplifting stuff was just a cover when people were mad about the store closings. To cover for the corporate malfeasance of Walgreens itself. And now that they've finished all the closings and stuff, they want to get out from under that a little bit. So because they cried so much about shuffling to cover for their corporate malfeasance, they were forced to do things like invest in security guards and shit like that. Money that wasn't going into the stock buybacks, which they were actually doing with their profits. Uh, And uh, now that they are kind of on the other side of it and want that money back for stock buybacks, like, uh, actually, there is no crime. Just kidding. Uh, We're going to get rid of all the security. What what I don't understand, though
1: what I don't understand though about that theory is like why would they actually have to hire the security if they're just doing this PR thing like who is forcing them to get the security I don't think that necessarily they like wanted
0: maybe to hire all the security I just think that when you tell all your investors that you're having billions of dollars (laughs) stolen from you in an organized (laughs) crime shoplifting spree they demand that you do something (laughs) Right, right like the most obvious thing to do that they can see and it's probably actually the cheapest option is to hire security
1: so so you Uh, actually think that they were like duping investors on this story too and not just like saying that to the public while telling investors something else yeah because i think ultimately
0: it was a cover your ass move from the board itself right sure sure. you know now investors should have been smart enough to have paid attention to all the investor calls i I saw that from all the investor calls uh, that had come in earlier uh you know uh in known that they were already planning on closing these stores, but you know, like investors are not always the not always paying attention to these kind of yeah yeah not of like course. following stuff bit by bit.
2: I mean, this is a political ruse for public consumption too. So it need not even just be the board that absorbed the this like message about oh we're suffering from this uh shoplifting. You know, it can could even it could just be middle management too. You know, like mm-hmm. you know if you're gonna do this ruse, you're sending stuff down the chain. Like oh, gotta be watching. I gotta take uh, care of shoplifting in your region you got to watch out for our shrinkage in this time of crime wave and so you have like regional managers or something going okay I guess we hire security or something um 22 yeah. is like the wh- the reason people are upset that like they're closing the Walgreens right cuz like their neighborhood drug scores going away and that is a problem because they didn't just get coked out in the 2000s to go like man we're going to have a million stores in America no they <laughs> they expanded For the purpose of monopolization, they they did it to drive out of business all the Mm -hmm. remaining local drugstores or local regional chains. And so that you're competing on every fucking intersection with a Walgreens and a Rite Aid now locked in a war that because they both had the same fucking idea. Right. But at least they've driven out the rest. And I'm sure they told themselves at the time, well, like, hey, yeah, it's this big investment. But what it's a big investment in fucking property like fine that it's going up whatever so what you know if we if we when we have to downsize we just you know great we get to sell the land that is fucking presumably grown in value so they're still winning here but yeah it makes sense that they would have to cover their ass uh, pulling out of like half their stores in America when they've put out by planting one next to every like regional drugstore they've put those places out of business you know
0: yeah. And it, it's interesting. I mean, people in San Francisco pointed out some interesting facts like CBS, who's their big com- uh, competitor, uh, San Francisco, that CBS uh, didn't close any stores in San Francisco and seemed to be unaffected by the organized crime <laughs> spree uh, or the weird thing that Walgreens closed more stores in New York City than they did in San Francisco. Uh, some just inconsistencies of the story. Yeah, And also, I mean, it's just worth repeating Despite what you hear incessantly on, you know, cable news or local news, mostly uh, larceny theft, which is what shoplifting is is at record low levels. I, sh- I put a chart up in our notes, boys. Uh, maybe take a look at that. This is the national that larceny theft rate. Traf- l- that's <laughs> like line a literal linear line that's going down. <laughs> yeah, this is from 1990 to 2021. So this includes uh, two of the years of organized crimes entry into larceny theft. Uh, yeah, it's just a line straight down. The larceny theft rate in the U.S. today is about one-third of what it was in 1990. Uh, It has been on a just steady continued decline. The idea that larceny theft is
1: going up in this country is literally made up. It is completely fucking made up. You can't even zoom in on, yeah. on a, on a point <laughs> to like, you know, say, Oh, well from 2020 to 2022, it's been going up or 2020 to 2021. It's like, it's literally at an all time low. Yeah. And the last time it actually increased nationally was uh 2000,
0: 2001 was the last time that it increased nationally, which was just marginal. It basically just stayed the same. Yeah. Um, but it's been in decline every year since uh, in San Francisco as well. Uh, what we can tell from the city uh, statistics kept by the police there, it's also been in decline through all of these uh, years of supposed organized crime in San Francisco is literally completely made up. Whenever you bring this up, people just say, Oh, well just nobody reports it anymore. And it's like, okay, well then, convenient. uh, yeah. yeah no convenient. Convenient. All
1: they do is fucking <laughs> reported. Yeah, know, My fucking God, you can't get it's these rep- people to yeah. shut the get fuck it up, up about right now. It. So,
0: it's so, like, there's
1: obviously yeah. an appetite for it. <laughs> yeah. And
0: also it's just one of those things where it's like, uh, well, Unless you can prove to me that reporting rates have actually declined over all these years, like uh, color me skeptical. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion if this graph were shaped differently, uh, this you would have a different complaint. Though so, you know yeah, it wouldn't be uh, that people aren't reporting. Brian, it, right you're but,
2: ignoring the lived experience of the
0: uh, <laughs> of the chain
2: retail store operator. Yeah.
0: They're just doing standpoint epistemology. I mean that's the thing. But yeah, no, it's. uh It's fucking nonsense, but I'll tell you something that isn't uh, nonsense that's worth uh, thinking about. It might also explain why the board might have been feeling a little heat over the last couple of years. Uh, There was a thread that was put out by uh, More Perfect Union, which is a union advocacy organization, about, uh, you know, okay, so shoplifting wasn't real at Walgreens, but but crime at Walgreens is real. So... One uh, Walgreens had to settle a 5.2 billion dollar settlement a year or Jesus. two ago uh, related to an opioid liti- op- related to opioid litigation. So basically, Walgreens was just <laughs> handing out opioids and opiates like candy, and uh, was sued by various states and owes well over five billion dollars in uh, in settlement money. Right, so. That's one How'd thing. How'd they get that might them be, on that,
2: man? How'd they? How you think? A you'd think a pharmacy would be pretty like legally safe if they're just because they're just like oh yeah, well it's right. just
1: a prescription, right? But I mean, if, uh, was
2: there something so lax about like this is a whole other thing? It'd be look. I mean, my point here is not that I'm skeptical that they didn't like do some horrible shit. It's that you would really have to. To not have for yeah. your lawyers not to just be able to run the table like laugh, get this laughed at a court, you would there would have to be real documentary evidence of just really really lax like fuck ups in uh, in, a, in a systematic level of like how they handle uh, filling opiate prescriptions.
0: Yeah. So I mean. Uh... Not knowing the details of that particular case, I can say that litigating against a corporation in America is extremely difficult. You do almost always have to prove documented proof that they not only committed a crime, but they knowingly committed a crime. Which is a really interesting uh, barrier that judges have put up in this country. Because obviously, if uh, you were a corporation knowingly committing a crime, the smartest thing would be to uh, not write it down. And the next smartest thing would be to uh, not give it to prosecutors when they try to prosecute you (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you have full control over all your data. Right. Um, So my (laughs) my guess is, is that Walgreens violation was wild, flagrant and obvious uh, would be my guess, because that tends to be the only way you can get a company in America these days. And yeah, You
2: you would think. They would be so easily protected by the fact that they don't write the fucking prescriptions, right? Yep. You know? You would think like that would be so that- like ironclad, like, look some other party the doctors are responsible for deciding who should get the pills right we, sure. we don't
1: know if this is this
2: written or not they, we're so just so we're following the precedent of
0: just following orders that's yeah. our yeah. precedent yeah. like, like,
1: no but even if it was just that <laughs> if it
2: was just that like they wouldn't they'd have got away
1: is no, my point. Gotta, they wouldn't, I mean, especially in the US else. legal system it has to be something kind of wild for them to get yeah. hit not only found you know guilty but like hit slapped with a five billion dollar fine in corporate law that's extremely huge This not like that's that's something that's very significant
0: well and the fine of course uh oh it depends where they were tried because of our genius fucking system of courts and government but uh the fine was almost certainly decided by a jury which for a jury also to give an amount that high means that they thought that what you did was extremely flagrant right they're they're being punitive on purpose now yeah um the, uh, to give an example, in the Obama era, there was a lawsuit against uh, Walmart for uh, sexism and its promotions, right? So not promoting women to manager positions and things like that. Uh, when it was brought as a you know collective lawsuit, right, the judge threw it out, the federal judge oversee, it, threw it out and said, no, because if you're discriminated against, that doesn't happen to you as a group. That happens individually. So force them all to drop that and then have to bring individual lawsuits against Walmart, at which point then the judge demanded uh, actual recorded evidence That the reason they weren't promoted was because they were women. Meaning, basically, like Walmart would had to have internal documents saying specifically, "Don't promote this person because they're a woman."
1: Every quarter in their meeting minutes, (laughs) they're like, "We cannot promote this woman. She is a woman, and we need her to stick to like the lower tier of management. And we need to promote this man."
0: Yeah, it's like, and to be clear, has vagina, no promotion. Yeah, with like a diagram, (laughs) diagram shout pointing, (laughs) you know, and then a sign. This is promotion. With a line through it. Uh Yeah. And that's what they do. I mean, that's the absurd level of evidence, right? And by specifically, by the way, to forcing them to bring the litigation individually, as a class action, you could of course prove that by saying, well, look at the preponderance of evidence amongst the class, right? Yeah. But by forcing them to bring it individually, they essentially took away the ability to do that. And so, you know, that just gives you a hint of what going against a corporation in America is actually like. Again contrary to what you might think from the uh, tort reform propaganda you get on the news. But the fun doesn't stop there. Of course, in 2020, uh, Walgreens was hit with a wage theft lawsuit, specifically in where? Oh, California. In the state of California, Walgreens systematically stole four and a half million dollars from 2,600 workers through just direct wage theft, making workers work off the clock, refusing to pay workers when they force them to work during breaks and things like that. Uh, So that's another bit of actual crime that happened at Walgreens that, again, Mm -hmm. they were having to pay for. Right. This was cutting into their corporate uh, profits. Uh, They also had two hundred sixty nine million dollars in fines levied against them in 2019 for scamming Medicare. (laughs) I mean, basically. uh, uh, So this, again, from a more perfect union, all told, Walgreens has been forced to pay over seven billion dollars in fines since 2000. Making the claim that petty theft is to blame for losses an unlikely story, but uh, yeah, I mean, right there, that was you know about five point eight billion dollars in, in fines over the last just couple of years uh, that Walgreens had to pay for actual criminal activity on the part of the company. I think that it sounds also, like
2: Walgreens is just a a badly run criminal enterprise, and that's really what's <laughs> going on here. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and I think, too, I, I think that explains maybe some of the heat that some of the board members were under, like they turned a billion dollars in profit, but weren't able to just immediately do stock buybacks because they had so many so much criminal litigation to pay off. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, when that happens. And they're probably the last co- corp company
0: in america
2: not doing stock buybacks because they've got (laughs) the most like criminally inept uh executives and and gotta be the worst lawyers in america too like yeah yeah
1: what's up with the lawyers lawyers man like like, i have questions about the law firm like come on man (laughs) (laughs) like they're they're putting up kobe numbers like every single they're going lebron like in the courtroom on their fines you know like come on man yeah, they got like uh, fucking Arthur Fonseca from Arrested Development as their fucking
0: lawyer, you know. And the most Somebody corporate friendly,
1: like <laughs> legally, like the most like corporate friendly place you can really be, like <laughs> yeah, in like, the world, <laughs> right? Like yeah, on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm sorry, the system is made for like these people, and uh, you know, or sorry, this entity, I guess, um, <laughs> and the people <laughs> who comprise it. Uh, and it's just, I think that just shows how egregious it is. <laughs> Somebody
2: at Walgreens or like the main investors, like were are not writing the right checks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, the the right bribes did not go out like this is the we're talking about the dumb money. Here.
1: They're, chi- they're 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 being cheap. Probably they're trying to like have it both ways, you know, like being like, oh, well, we can just like do the minimum contributions. We can, you know, not do a lot of lobbying, not show up to their fucking like, you know, <laughs> uh, dinners and shit. Yeah, I mean, they pissed someone off. They definitely had to piss someone off in government, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, interestingly, they were writing checks of a sort that in California, they have been one of the big funders of Prop 47, which turns... You know, uh, serial theft or a person caught shoplifting three times. It makes it a felony uh, in California because there's just not enough people in the prisons there, Uh, as well as makes it harder to be released from prison and things like that. Uh, Walgreens was able to cut checks for that, but apparently not for a good enough law firm to get them out of this. And again, as you said, India, the easiest, laxest country on the planet for doing (laughs) corporate crime. Um, Incredible. Well. Pretty impressive. Yeah, so go Walgreens. Uh, but not to be outdone, Seattle, uh, we we hate to be out of the headlines. And even worse, we hate it when San Francisco steals a headline from us. So, wow, well, sharks, man. Fuck yep, that. Exactly. So Danny Westney, he came in. You know, he's our favorite writer at the Seattle Times, the only one with any flair whatsoever. Came in with a, a hot piece this weekend. Seattle's pandemic crime fever may finally be breaking. Oh, thank God. I wonder where that fever came Oof. from. And, you know, I, I figure we'll just go through this in its entirety because, you know, we love a Westney. you know, he's our guy. One of the most disturbing offshoots of the plague years has been the violent crime that rose up and raged in Seattle and many other cities and towns. Oh, you guys remember that, yeah. right?
2: Remember when I became the Joker? <laughs> <laughs> remember when I blew up no. that hospital? <laughs> yeah, <this> it <shit> was <laughs> nuts. That was wild, man. Yeah, uh, <laughs> what a <laughs> cool. time! Uh, we'll we'll look out back on this crime wave wistfully for the rest of our lives. I'm just witnessing crimes, committing them. Uh, yeah, it, there'll never be a time like this again. Best best years of my life.
1: I just know, I just know, my midlife crisis is about to be crazy because I'm just about to be chasing that feeling for the rest of my life, like yeah. chasing the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the Swedes had it coming. So.
0: Well, it was the largest (laughs) recorded increase in homicides in United States history. One criminologist said Uh, a criminologist who's a fucking moron, because that is absolutely not true. Insane. (laughs) Not true by any metric. Like Uh, just made up
2: (laughs) just total bullshit. I mean, this it's really incredible. Like, uh, wait, I didn't follow this link earlier. What's what's he got?
0: Oh, it's uh, oh Danny Westney article. It links yeah, the, yeah, the just, one criminologist yeah. is apparently Danny Westney in a previous post. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, it. okay, okay. No, you know what it is. You want to know what it is? You want to know what it is? Go for it. Go for it. Give it to us. He cites paragraph two of this article. This past week, the local association of police chiefs released their annual report showing crime and arrest data for. 211 cities, blah, 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 around the country. So some some quote-unquote criminologist, meaning a cop who yeah. belongs to a cop <laughs> lobbying organization, released a report. Yeah, bullshit. It's just such an incredible lie this asshole has been at the forefront of pushing in this city for two years now. Like, the... The numbers even I mean, you can just read his numbers here. And if you're looking for it, you can see the sleight of hand like it's it's pretty obvious. I'll I'll let you continue.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, one criminologist said about how the social dislocation of the pandemic had triggered an abrupt rise in violence back in 2020. In Seattle, murder shot up 47 percent in that first year and then has stayed high like it's a new normal. By last summer, overall violent crime here reached a 25-year high. So, first off, violent crime and murder are two different things. One is included in the other, but they are two separate categories. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. So,
2: so to to just break this down, the the lie of these numbers here. Like, you know, you've described to us how, you know, uh, larceny theft has gone down. We've also talked about how, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, like, murder has gone way down. All violent crime has gone way down since the 60s. This number here, Seattle, in Seattle, murder shot up 47% in that year, meaning 2020, and has stayed high like it's a new normal. What he means here, first of all, where he's getting his numbers, whatever, it's for, you know, but what he, if there's any truth to what he's saying, it's that year over year, the whole crime numbers, which are, First of all, a ludicrous way to talk about crime statistics, period, Mm -hmm. grew by 50%, by 47%. So what that means is if there were 10 murders in Seattle in 2019, it grew 47%. That means there were 15 murders the next year, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, it's not great. It's not nice that people are murdered, but like talking about this in whole numbers is crazy. Like, what? What are you comparing this to? Like, it, that. That's first of all. That's not like if you described it that way. Now the numbers are actually a little larger. We're talking about like a, the new normal that was hit was more like in the 40s and 50s each year in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so you know that just means like it. It started. You know, 2019 was something like 35, right? And then it grew by 47. percent You know, mm-hmm. into the high 40s okay uh like i think last year seattle police for 2022 uh said it was 56 uh murders in seattle yeah. um so and they they say that was a 33% jump from 2021 meaning 2021 there were 42 43 or something you know so you're talking about a like a jump maybe you know poss- not even not even doubling over uh a couple of years from from fairly low numbers when you when you put it in any context like what what does that mean like if it was 56 murders in uh new york you would say that was low cuz there's millions of people living there right like the only way to talk about this and the the, the crux of the disingenuousness here is that you're talking about these whole numbers out of context instead of the only reasonable way that anyone discusses uh, crime data, which is per fucking capita per uh, as a rate out of uh, usually one hundred thousand. Right. Like it's just completely fucking disingenuous.
0: Yeah. And even just number wise, I mean, so if you're looking at the Washington state data as a whole, which is the most complete actual data set you can look at uh, in Washington state, just whole numbers. The max out for murders in the state was actually 1994 when there was 294 murders in the state, uh, which keep in mind there was like 200 some odd, uh, I think it's 220 uh, last year, something like that. There's two and a half million more people in the state now than yeah. there were in 1994, right? So we're talking about is actually a significantly lower murder rate. Now, guys, if I could point your attention to this uh, other chart I put in our notes here, This is the actual per 100,000 of the population violent crime rate in the United States from 1990 to 2021. And uh, for those, you know,
1: since people are listening, how would you describe the line on that graph? Looks like Uh, a crypto chart from the last six months or so. It's like (laughs) pretty down. It looks
0: like my Tesla stock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have very steep declines beginning in the 1990s, and a sort of just leveling off in the 2010s, where we've sort of hit kind of a floor. I would argue a floor that probably is about as low as a violent crime rate can get in a society as wildly unequal as the United States. Yeah. Um, but, but like but whatever it, the, no cause, increases. the numbers,
2: <laughs> n- numbers are so low that yeah, like the whole numbers are so low, and when you're talking, if you're talking about like historically, like the fluctuations are, are kind of, it's hard to even attribute it to anything. Like, yes. I mean, like maybe you could say, you know, you can look at this data and say, Oh, there was a little uptick in 2020, 2021. Is that the pandemic? Is that sure? Maybe who, but it's so the numbers are like, again, if it's like four, if you have a murder rate in a town of four one year and there's, six the next year do you used to go like holy shit what what are the causes of this now you might if the <laughs> if it was a town of 25 people you might go like holy shit like we got a fucking like interesting new problem here but like it, when the numbers are are so near the fucking floor yeah like these year on year like little flux this little like wavy line is meaningless yeah and they've been yeah. trying to juice this into a fucking murder panic you know
0: yeah, and basically what, ha- what has been happening now for almost ten years is you have a slight uptick one year, and then a slight downtick next year. Slight uptick one year, slight downtick the next year, and it's like that's noise. This yeah, is it's not just noise. The numbers are so low. A, yeah, it's not signifying any sort of change or anything like that. Um, you know, and to be clear, the. Both the murder rate and the violent crime rate in Seattle is still well below the national average as well. Seattle continues to be an incredibly safe city by pretty much every metric you can compare it. Uh, It's it's absurd, right? Yeah, I mean, it's got the murder rate again,
2: demographically, like per hundred thousands got to be way lower than the state as a whole. You know, much less if you separated them out to the rest of the state. You know, the murder rate when you get out in ex-urban counties is way fucking higher.
0: Yeah, the the murder rate in sales is not even the highest in the state, much less the country. Uh, The whole thing is a joke. But let's hear what else Danny has to say, though. Fucking cretin. Maybe the most dismaying thing about it is that nobody could say why. Don't have a clue, one police detective said when asked about the causes like by nobody he just getting, means cops. Just you asked a cop. Oh my god. <laughs> Again, everything that's this this another
2: hyperlink to another no doubt to another Danny Westney article where he's just quoting idiot
1: cops. Dude, he's yep. he's juicing himself, man. Like I gotta respect the grind. Like, a, like one smart genius expert here hyperlinked to like a oh it's literally uh, just his the like same, last column it's literally <laughs> th- to the same column he hyperlinked two paragraphs above that we so he's just copy about. and pasting oh, a okay. column again honestly I respect it yeah performance reviews but, are coming up, man you got it you got to cite those metrics <laughs> but is this unusual crime
0: fever finally breaking receding now as mysteriously as it settled in yes mysterious how the panic on crime settled in the city who knows. How, who can know who did this? Well, everybody's kind of cautious to say anything. Adrian Diaz, Seattle police chief, told me about what appears to be a substantial easing these past few months. Is this just a lull? Finally, are we about to see another spike? We don't know, but we're definitely seeing it tailing off in a significant way over the last few months. Diaz said.
2: Again, tailing P- off. when you're talking about when you're talking about. Fifty six murders in a city of half a million people or something in a year last year. And what they're basically saying is that was front loaded at the front of the year, too. It's like, but like, what is the like? What is the change? So so what there were there? Gosh, some months there were seven murders and gosh later in the year after thanksgiving there were only two you know it's like <laughs> it's like, like these are, this is no it's meaning it's meaningless these are doesn't, such low numbers like it's nonsense like it is not no. it
0: is nothing you're talking about again slight fluctuations during a period of historically low violent crime like that's never been seen probably on the planet before <laughs> you know it, it's <laughs> but none of it makes sense like the, to talk about in this context is crazy
2: yeah like uh, there's something I don't know I don't know what the mathematical like language to there, there's got to be some like concept where like the smaller the numbers you're working with the less relevant the the, the whole, like whole number data. statistical yeah. fluctuations are because each because the unit each this is what i'm getting at each unit of data is such a large percentage of the overall data set yeah one yeah. in 22 it's 156th and so to add one more or subtract less murder it's a, a, a 56th of your entire data it, set it will it will move a
1: percentage point it's, that's, yeah.
2: yeah that's a that's you get this If you're looking at this statistically like they're trying to, as a percentage, you get these wild fluctuations from one data point. And so it's a meaningless way to look at this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Crime peaked, we hope, last August. That month saw a record 11 homicides and the most violent crimes, 554, for one month in city history. Again, that is a lie. That is not a record in city history. <laughs> Just an outright lie. Uh, most of these were robberies or felony level assaults, such as attacks involving a weapon, usually a gun. Again, the also the, the sleight of hand here is also for people who don't understand how crime works. Uh, I guarantee you if you're to look through the month-by-month records of Seattle crime, the highest crime rate every year is July and August. Like yeah. crime as is just is higher everywhere in the summer. forever. And, yeah, as it is everywhere on the planet. Every you know every year of human since history, the beginning since of humanity time. began.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the fu- Like, oh, how
0: did this happen? What ha- what was going
2: on? It's the, the a very mystery. predictable
0: spike in murders in August happened what? again this year. Okay, I love
2: too. The, like what Diaz <laughs> is doing there is like is just very common. It's that the phrase in history, as in like. This what's this totalizing sounding phrase that like me? It's it has a colloquial meaning that means like that in a in the a recent time frame that's convenient for me to say
0: right now. Like yeah, you yeah. know, that's <laughs> in what as it all means. Yeah, as, in as many years backwards until I hit a number that's higher that that's the number. Like that's the yeah, number of years that's I mean like by well history. that's forever
2: yeah. ago. That doesn't matter. Which again like collapses the these statistics into this period of these tiny fluctuations yeah if you chop shit off at 1995 like or 2000 yeah you've got you just zoom in on the graph you've got these whoa this this jumping line
0: that mean that's meaningless Mm -hmm. that's a statistically nonsense yeah Last fall starting in October something started to shift. For the fourth quarter of 2022, violent crimes dropped 18% compared to the fourth quarter of 2021. Meaningless. N- Not sound police records. Meaningless. Yeah.
2: Fucking again, you're talking about a shift of a few yeah. data points. Like a few a couple, three more people snapped and <laughs> killed a loved yeah. one.
0: Like Well, basically if you were to say it the correct way, which is the murder rate went from per 100,000 to 7.0897 per 100,000. It just wouldn't be very impressive. So it would be, you got to do it this way. It would be
2: nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, murders happened, but no, no change.
0: Yeah. Uh, According to Seattle police records, December saw the fewest acts of violence reported in the city going back nearly three years Nearly three years—the beginning of history. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> Again, also, yeah, uh, you know, part of the sleight of hand of the the uh, sort of summer winter kind of discussion here is that crime also tends to hit record lows in the winter, right? So,
2: it's think cold about out. it. Spi-
0: Spike Lee was right. When the weather gets hot, people get crazy. (laughs) 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 But when it gets cold, the opposite happens. People get sensible. Uh, Property crime data isn't as reliable because so much of it goes unreported. This is what we talked about last time, which is uh, clearly there must be an enormous amount of property crime happening because we talk about it all the time. Uh, why are there no numbers? Uh, I guess no, I guess all those homeowners out there who do nothing but whine all day on every social media platform uh, just forgot to call the cops that day. I mean, that's yeah, all, all the, they do all day. But like they for that, all the forgot. downtown
2: business owners, like if they're not reporting a crime, then it wasn't a crime. OK, I'm yeah. sorry. Like then nothing happened.
0: They literally call Como every time like the mildest you know, inconvenience happens in their life. But when an actual crime happened, they just forgot that day to get around to it. I mean, come on. Give me a break. Total crime in Seattle after looking like a chart from hell for two years. Again, <laughs> extremely <laughs> mild fluctuation. Uh, that has, by the way, a continuation of a pattern that's <laughs> been going on since like 2014. So, you know. It's been going Bring on since like 2014. High. Yeah. Brian, you're a little hot. Uh, Okay. Total crime in Seattle, after looking like a chart. Okay. uh, Okay, so total crime in Seattle after looking like a chart from hell for two years has dropped enough in the past few months that it now may be trending back toward pre-pandemic levels. There's no way to know right now what's going on with these shifts. Whether they are unique to Seattle, they're not, or whether they'll last, said Jekyll and Hofgart, they will. There's no
2: way to know. Of course, there's a way to know (laughs) if they're unique to Seattle, you could you're look. a journalist. You could look. You could yeah. You could ask. Well, apparently, this idiot. is this is Lazy the director cunt. of
0: Seattle University's Crime and Justice Research oh, Center. He's so quoting
2: this guy. Wait, what? Yeah, a, wow, a, a real That's... credit
0: to Seattle University.
1: <laughs> wow,
0: <laughs> no way to know if crime's happening in other cities because, of course, we don't measure that in this country. <laughs> <laughs> she had
1: proposed moonlight
2: imp- as a cop or a priest. You know. so far he's only hit up cops for questions so either way he's probably irish
0: well can we know how uh criminology uh grad students and stuff are like in this state you know we must assume the directors of those departments are uh of equal merit but she proposed an empirical study with seattle police to explore the root causes of the city's crime surge but they didn't have the bandwidth for it (laughs) 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 i would like to really dig into your crime statistics uh no thanks (laughs)
1: that's what what is that even
0: theories it means no it means that she wanted to dig into their crime statistics you know because the police whine about it all the time and the police said oh no you can't look at this this is our secret data you can only have (laughs) what comes out of our press office yeah yeah our pr (laughs) (laughs) yeah these are secret documents you can't look at them it's uh you know it was like um uh What's his face? Uh, McCarthy's briefcase, you know, where he always had the secret documents that proved that everybody was a secret <coughs> Soviet agent. You know, yeah. uh, they're in here. You just have to trust me on it. I can't open the briefcase. I forgot the code. Well, what uh, if, what that implies, <laughs> you know, and I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, yeah, like
2: cops should not be allowed to really have a press office, speak publicly, release any information. And they should not store any information. They shouldn't actually collect any information. Like anything collected by a beat cop who shouldn't have a job should go to a different department at the city and all that paperwork should be done. But what this means, because we know this is not the case, they don't want you to look at the raw data of their, uh, the raw crime data from which they generate the statistics. I'm sorry. It implies that the actual things they release are just bullshit that if you looked into it, you would go like, wait, how did you get, um, this, you know, for last year when Mm -hmm.
0: like the data doesn't add up, you know? Things that you're reporting as one type of crime are actually not that type yeah. of crime and, you know, inconsistencies like doubling, in the data. They're in like double columns or some shit, you know, yeah. Yeah, it tends to be when you look at police data and they you really get a look at, which usually involves a court order, uh, you start to find some real interesting patterns and things like that and how they like to report stuff. All right, quote. If you increase temptations and reduce social controls, you'll see an increase in crime, health got said. All right. Uh, explain how that happens, though. Citing a principle in criminology called routine activities theory. It holds that crime depends mostly on opportunity and whether there's social guardianship around to mitigate it. This could be police, though most often it's simply other people out and about in the city. Throughout the pandemic, there weren't enough people on the street and also weren't uh, there were not enough police, she says. I think the biggest issue right now that might explain the drop in crime is that we're returning to a semblance of normal. There's more people downtown. There's more people walking around without masks. It just feels more normal. I love the without mask thing that she just threw in there as her own little personal political fucking hobby horse. But yeah,
2: (laughs) this is somewhat. Look, this is a criminologist at Seattle University. This is this is cop adjacent. Like oh yeah, they, yeah of course they, they, that's what they exist to do there they're in bed with SPD and this person clearly is like first of all what when, how were there not enough cops they, the pandemic had no effect on police staffing they just pretend it didn't And I mean they weren't wearing where were masks so like they weren't wearing where were where were they in your theory because they were they were apparently going about doing their job as much as they ever do.
0: Well, and according to the Seattle Police Department itself, I mean, there's even less cops now when the crime rate is decreasing than there were then when it was increasing. So that would imply to me that the police uh, level has absolutely no impact on crime whatsoever. And therefore, we can actually cut a lot more of them and save some money. Um, No, I mean, when we say that it's police adjacent, we should explain that a little, not just throw it out in that, uh, A, there's no funding in being a thorn in the side of police departments. Yeah. be like to be a criminologist. It does require you need the cooperation of police departments to work with you. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, you want that data and stuff like that that they hold. Like smog, lay on top of it. You know, well, also you want, it's in the you name. To to interview them, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's also in the it's name.
2: Criminology <laughs> it exists to to yeah. be the academic support of the yeah. carceral system. You know, that's yeah. what criminology is, including like right, like uh, you know, you're you know justifying investigative like things and evidence collection and like pinning crimes on people as well you know uh yeah. also seattle u specifically is are the weird catholic university in this town and they're the ones who do like the public safety surveys every year it's probably the same uh yeah person uh, group yeah. there you know it's probably the same person like yeah, yeah well, they cooperate stay, yeah. with the <laughs> cops in this town to do their propaganda
0: yeah, I mean, there's there's all that stuff. And also criminology departments, there's a lot of, like, you know, cops coming in and out of them, right, as, you know, cops who want to, you know, the like one in ten cops that can read, right, go into it and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but to, to just finish my point, I mean, a lot of goodwill, if you want to have an easy job of it as a criminologist, is required from, you know, whatever police department you're studying. And you're not going to get goodwill from them by not touting their line, by not backing them up and all that, you know, fucking cops are, they'll shut you out, man. And then, you know, you're going to be stuck, you know, with a a hard road to hoe in front of you as far as (laughs) doing your research and things like that. It's the same reason why the military embeds reporters with military units when the U S like, you know, launches its wars abroad is they know the reporters are going to hang out with the troops. They're going to develop close personal relationships and that's going to censor their reporting naturally. And criminology, (laughs) is departments that work in the same with journalists
2: like you know journalists got into their field because they like watched all the president's men and were like you know yeah man i'm gonna i'm gonna break the big stories i'm gonna like expose the system and the man and then they get co-opted into like whatever criminologists like went to college and were like hey look there's a way I can be a different kind of cop who's a huge yeah, nerd yeah. and sits at a computer all well, day. The barrier you
0: know? to co-optation is also lower for them, too. <laughs> yeah, but, you very, know, I mean, very
2: low. But, you they know, started out as cops, you know.
0: But, you, you know, there's, there's an easy way to understand, like, why they become, you know, linked to police departments in They're these intense to. ways, right? So, HealthCott said it's well known that psychological anxiety is linked to crime. In fact, mental health experts with the State Department of Health all but predicted the pandemic would trigger a crime wave. Back in the summer of 2020, they put out a behavioral health resource warning that waves of the virus would likely set off a trauma cascade with parts of society becoming disillusioned and acting out. Uh, Acting out includes increased aggression, hostility, irritability, substance use, and risky behaviors. Podcasting. Because of this, law enforcement may see a disproportionate increase in violent crimes, the health memo forecasts with deadly accuracy. I mean... This is an interesting point, not that Eat's going to look at it in this way, but maybe uh, having the state uh, kill a million people very clearly just to, you know, ease and comfort big business and the capitalist class in this country. Uh, maybe watching that for people did have an impact on them psychologically. I, I think there's actually something to that. Uh, uh, but Eat, of course, is not going to see it that way. But interesting. Once we hit the pandemic, there was like a switch, Chief Diaz says. There was more road rage, more robberies and these cases where people were snapping. Uh, debatable. Another yeah. factor for Seattle. Of his ass. Yep. Another factor for Seattle was the rise of serious violent cl- crime related to homeless encampments. And here we get to the point. Oh my Diaz God. said he joined Seattle police in 1997. By the way, when the crime rate was enormously higher than it is now. And had never seen much of a link between serious crime and homelessness until the pandemic hit. By the way, it was the official position of Seattle PD that homelessness is crime in 1997. Uh, of course, there's the famous video in the 80s they had under the viaduct, under the viaduct they dressed, like homeless yeah. people and things like that. Again, Diaz just lying. I mean, just there's no other way to describe it. Just lying, you know. Quote, the homeless encampments became like these underground markets for violence, Diaz said. He would have said that in 1997 as well. Seattle had allowed encampments to stay in place and grow due to pandemic restrictions on shelters. But by spring of 2022, up to a third of all shootings were related in some way to the camps, Diaz says. I'm going to go ahead and say that's also a lie. Related uh, <laughs> in some way, meaning nearby one. Yeah, within which five miles of one, yeah. which is everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's possible that mayor Bruce Harrell's focus on breaking up the camps has contributed to the drop in crime numbers. And here we get to the point. Uh, But again, that
1: hasn't been studied. Hmm. I guess I'm just going to assert it. No. Hey, I'm just going to not look into that one. I think that we can all come to our own conclusions there. Good night, everybody. We figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. As as reported on this show and reported uh,
0: hilariously, not in the Seattle times, but in, uh, in, in the Atlantic, uh, these sweeps on camps in Seattle never stopped actually during the pandemic. So even that part is a lie that they stopped. They slowed, but never stopped. Diaz said police had seized 1260 guns through November in part by focusing more on encampments in America. I mean, guns in <laughs> America, they find yeah. them all. they're illegal, <laughs> yeah. right? It's illegal to own guns, right? Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I mean, not saying how many guns the police seize generally in a year or anything like that, um, you know, but whatever. We could just assume that since that has no comparison to a previous year, that either is less than they normally sees or right about the number they normally sees. Uh, otherwise they would have told you. Halfgott also says the drumbeat of stories in the media, giving a sense that it's a free for all out there, that there's no police and it's just total lawlessness may have fed a pernicious feedback loop of anxiety and social disruption, prompting still more crime. Hey, we're just trying to figure out who did this, right? <laughs>
1: I mean, like the word impart is like doing a lot of work in that sentence where like he was saying that, you know, like the number of guns seized in parts by, you know, encampment. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that. Those two things don't really make sense together.
0: Well, he specifically leaves out how many they seized in encampments, which if that was a huge number that was shocking, they would have given you. So obviously wasn't. It was nothing. And they specifically, unlike every other bit of crime data they've given you in here with like it was the most in three years, it was the most in history, 100 percent rise from the previous year. All that is left out of that statement from that. You should ascertain from that that that's probably less guns than they seized the previous year or in previous years to that. And uh, they really didn't get any from encampments. (laughs) Otherwise, they would have told you. I mean, I'm sorry. That's how the police talk. If they leave out that kind of information. That means that they're again, that's just how they lie. You know, it's just learning how to read their lies
2: is basically like the villain in a schoolhouse rock episode on media literacy. Like you could just, (laughs) you could like, like a gang of like media literacy teens could go up against West nut like every week on Saturday morning, uh, to learn a new kind of lesson about media literacy. Uh,
0: uh, I yeah. watch <laughs> <laughs> all right. So hopefully, this story about how crime finally may be easing will help break that cycle. Somehow, I doubt it. Crime going up is a story that grabs you. Crime going down will either be ho-humed or outright disbelieved, especially by Seattle's many national critics and by me, Danny Westney. It's also one of the riskier stories one can do in the news business as, as the next big shooting or killing, which is certainly coming, will make me look like an idiot. See, Danny's a risk taker out there. I'm not predicting any future here. Stories about crime trends as a rule look backward. It's also that it's also true that if your store gets robbed or your catalytic converter gets sawed off of your car, about the last thing you'll care about are broad stats showing that things were moving in the right direction back in December. But Seattle's been afflicted both a sort of contagion of bad trends. At times, the city's crime rate itself seemed like a virus, spreading and injuring countless victims and businesses. Countless? All, countless? You can,
2: <laughs> We've been counting this shit all this whole article. All time, yeah.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. All city leaders in 2020 and 2021 had no coherent plan to flatten the curve. I mean, they all did, which was just keep doing the same thing they always did. And the fluctuation that's always existed continued. So, I mean, you know, just shut up on this, Danny. Uh, So it's big news that it's on the wane for now, for whatever reasons, if it holds, it will be about the best prognosis for Seattle's health. Our ailing city has gotten in a long time. All right. Well, I think, you know, some of the key points in here is that little focus on homelessness, which is the real point of all this, that by crime, what they mean is visible poverty, which has increased as the housing crisis has increased. And again, I mean, it's one of those fascinating things because they talk about this, both in, in the context of Seattle and San Francisco, but having taken the long California road trip this last summer, uh, homelessness is very high everywhere in America, including incredibly small towns where you wouldn't necessarily see it as visible <laughs> as, it, as it used to be. Um, there was rest stops were like rest stops in the middle of nowhere where I saw people panhandling like uh we have a very serious crisis in housing in this country directly related to the cost of housing and nothing else and uh interesting that that never seems to come up in these stories it's just crime it has to be dealt with that be shooed off to the next location i mean incredible uh also, I do love the, you know, who knows why everybody's so panicked about crime. Uh, maybe it's our paper that just writes about it incessantly. And even though there actually is no increase in crime, of course, everything starts. It does remind me of that ad that we talked about uh, during the elections where they're trying to do the crime panic for the ad. And mm-hmm. one of the they're doing the, the white women talking heads and one of the women literally just said uh, crimes out of control. It's all I see on the news. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it's the perfect expression because nobody, because crime is so low, very few people actually experience it. It really is experienced through the news and social media, not through actual lived experience. Uh, you know, as somebody who has been a quote unquote victim of crime, something that's very easy to get past and live, live through uh, crime in Seattle is is non-existent. I'm sorry. I've lived in much more dangerous places than the city. <laughs> 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 I, I've never felt more safe in a city walking around at any hour of the night. It's fine.
1: Yeah. Same with New York too, to be um, honest, yeah. it's, it's Honestly, a pretty safe city. I, yeah. I almost felt safer in New York.
2: Like, But <laughs> yeah, that is that like compared to a city Seattle where there is no place, no neighborhood in the city that I would not, that I and haven't like walked in like at midnight by myself you know with cash in my wallet you know I've done that yeah. everywhere in this city without any trepidation and to uh to my mild surprise I found that I felt like that uh, everywhere I went in New York anyway uh maybe even more so because there's uh, maybe because again to the the uh the uh Point made about, you know, the criminologist theory uh, in New York, there is, you know, it really is the city that only sleeps occasionally. And so, like, everywhere you go at any time of the night, there's there are people about Yeah, you people
1: know? are there and it's a lit up city. Like those are the two things that kind of determine, you know, the that kind of crime. At least the vibe, you know. Yeah, the vibe, right? Well,
0: I mean, that does point to uh, people are pointing that out. Both people who do like urban history and sort of urban sociology, as well as criminologists, have pointed out for a very long time that eyes on the street really is like something that not only probably leads to reduced crime because you don't do crime when people are watching, but also leads to people feeling safer. Now the problem is, is that the, both the needs of the real estate industry, the capitalist class, but also the, the taught, uh, aesthetic preferences of the sort of professional class and middle class in America is the opposite of that. Like their aesthetic preference is for nobody to be on the streets ever, except for themselves. The personal use city is the ideal city for like Seattle's professional class where wherever they go, it's like, uh, you know a post-apocalyptic movie they're the only person there they're like the it's
2: Omega basically Man I walking am around or some shit Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking Omega Man uh doing you know is like going to Bellevue Uh you yeah. are the Omega Man you are Charlton Heston like. I've
0: never felt that feeling more than in Bellevue I well, mean Bellevue think, is the perfect if this, example yeah. if this all was true then you'd figure like
2: Bellevue would probably have the highest murder rate in the state I wonder if that's <laughs> true
0: <laughs> I mean it doesn't it because murder is actually an interpersonal crime that happens between people who know oh, each other which is like you'd have, a yeah, you'd have to
2: know someone and yeah, yeah they've, you know. well they've transcended then yeah you know yeah. they've actually pushed through and achieved the sort of neoliberal neoliberal uh real estate dream, which is mm-hmm. you know which suggests there's kind of there's a there's a rough patch to get through when you're as you're dismantling society as you're breaking social bonds and atomizing uh people into and se- separating the poor from the rich and creating a uh, uh, we- wealthy enclaves of pure real estate speculation that a few people happen to sleep in on their mattress of money <laughs> you know that's rough as you're doing the creative destruction to the uh, the social bonds but like if you push through it it's a paradise. There
1: you know, you There's go. no murders because <laughs> you don't know anyone or see anyone. <laughs> Problem yeah. solved. More but, suburbanization is needed to get the murder rate yeah. down. I think that that's the main.
0: <laughs> well, and there's, I, there's a certain I irony, you
1: know, there
0: in that. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe the crime rate goes down because you have no interpersonal contact to lead to crime. But the, the irony is, is that that middle class, professional class aesthetic uh also fuels their own personal paranoia about crime <laughs> and things like that yeah, oh, because yeah. it does feel unsafe well, why feel true crime nobody's is on like it it's like such at a night.
1: huge genre right it's yeah. just like there's a reason why just like a lot of people in like the american middle class are like attracted to like true crime podcasts mm-hmm. and stuff you yeah. f- you
2: feel like you're sa- you feel safe when you're connected to a community you're embedded in a social uh community a structure and you can't feel that
0: way when you aren't which is what it is to live in Bellevue you know yeah and you know the thing is in the United States we've had this historic collapse in violent crime which actually happened all over the world too but uh, I think it is hard to kind of explain why that happened I think it's a complicated thing that has a lot of causal factors that nobody's really like fully come up with a very good cohesive like holistic theory on but the reason why we've been stuck in this trough where we kind of hit the bottom and now we just fluctuate at the bottom, I have a personal theory of that, which is a society as unequal as the United States can only support a certain level of decline in crime rate because interpersonal violence is related to things like economic insecurity and things like that. Fights between partners, right, spouses, things like that. Happen almost always because of issues around money and stuff like that. And if you actually were serious and wanted to reduce the violent crime rate further in this country, the actual solution isn't more police or anything like that. It would be a much broader social safety net and increasing the living standards of, uh, you know, probably the bottom 100 million people that live in this country and making them not live lives of such precarity and just unending stress that causes them to then lash out violently against the only people that are around them that they can lash out against, which happens to be their family members, you know, and that's the source of actual, uh, most violent crime in America.
2: Well, and this, this was a Paul, this, you know, kind of reflects a policy choice to, uh, concentrate inequality to concentrate poverty. Right. Maybe that mm-hmm. is part is partly at work here. The, uh, the way that in, Uh, That poverty was concentrated in the urban ghettos, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, where all the poor people just as like there are in in neoliberalism, you know, we've developed these enclaves of rich people that are forcing everybody else out. Even before that, you know, we were concentrating, uh, you know, rich, uh, poor people into smaller and smaller areas in in cities, you know.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, that that jives with, you know, the case study of, say, like Chicago, where Chicago has a much higher violent crime rate than the national average. But that violent crime is entirely located within like eight blocks of the city. You know, everywhere else in the city is very low crime. And you could obviously walk around with zero concern about violent crime. But the uh, concentration The inequality, the concentration of poverty, the inequality, the lack of opportunity within a very particular area of Chicago in a very particular community, uh, that kind of pressure will create, you know, violence and things like that. Because people do lash out against bad and deteriorating conditions you know, and they lash out again. I mean, the sad part is they lash out against those that are around them, which are rarely the people that actually cause those conditions in the first place. Yeah.
1: Well, and you know, like when you're like shut out of all opportunities too, that yeah. leads to another, you know, opportunity of organized crime as well. Right. Sure. And so, you know, you so sometimes, you know, increased violent crime is like just from like turf wars and stuff. Right. Cause you need to, that's like the way to enforce actually like selling Selling things, you know, like, yeah, if the, yeah, if the yeah. formal economy is cut off from you, only the informal
0: economy exists. Right. Yeah. So if you can't get, and, you know, regular jobs, the black market's all that exists. And if another organized shoplifting crew is trying to horn in on your Walgreens, like <laughs> yeah. you, you can't be caught lacking. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the Walgreens story also points to a thing that we point out in the show many times that people really need to like when they have these arguments with their co-workers and stuff drill down on. Crime in cities is on the rise. Cities are full of crime. It's just all corporate crime and white collar crime. It's It's Walgreens stealing your money. (laughs) It's wage theft. It's Pagliacci's not paying its drivers. Uh, It's, you know, financial crime, property crime, etc. from landlords. Uh, Yeah, the, the cities are rife with crime. It's just none of the crime that we talk about. Well... On that note, uh, why don't we go ahead and, and call it a night? This is a bit of a long one, guys, but you know, look when we when we get a new Westney, we we all get all excited. That's, all, <laughs> that's, all, that's all there is to it. Uh, make sure to check out "Ending the Myth." We just talked yes, about. Yes. we just talked about MLK's amazing 1967 Riverside speech, uh, where he came out against the war in Vietnam. Very inspiring stuff. Excited to see what uh, the future of that man's career has in store for him. It's very Uh, bright
1: as far as I know.
0: uh, We went right up to the end of 1967. It looks like MLK's got some big plans. (laughs) Uh, A lot of things I'm kind of excited (laughs) to see how they pan out. Big things coming. Big things coming, especially in the D.C. area uh, for Mr. King, where he's going to lead a big march, Uh, poor people against the war, Uh, you know, uh, the security states really got a got it coming for them. So looking look, yep. excited to see them get theirs here uh, soon. But uh, yeah, uh, new ending the myth just dropped uh, on Sunday. We'll have an episode where we talk all things CoIntel Pro, everybody's favorite topic on the left. <laughs> uh, make sure you're checking it out every Sunday. Uh, exciting stuff. Oh yeah. Also, just a reminder for the cost of a ring camera. I'm just kidding. I don't know what the fuck this <laughs> costs. But for a mere $5 a month, you can become a patron of Mechanical Freak where you can join our Discord and I got to tell you the boat talk on the Discord, the boat discourse oh, it's popping is hotter than ever these days. So if you need to know, if you need boat Captain advice, Greg has entered the <laughs> chat. Yeah, he's 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 dispensing uh financial advice when it comes to becoming a boater for life. Uh, if you have any questions about your boating lifestyle or getting into the boating lifestyle, uh, join our Patreon. Come join us on Discord. Uh, I feel like yeah, this last week it's it's been uh, there's been some exciting stuff and some real interesting stuff. So uh, everybody join on. We we do occasionally talk about things that are not boat related, but don't let that discourage you. It's mostly <laughs> boat talk. <laughs> all right, everybody. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Good night. Nighty night. Night. night.